0: Welcome to the rest stop it's tuesday april 13th 2021 i'm brad restituto spencer ostrovsky with me as well we come to you every tuesday and thursday nine to ten o'clock pacific time good show tonight for you uh some nba news and action on the hardwood this tuesday evening of course a devastating injury that's going to send one team uh their odds in vegas down significantly we'll talk about the impact of that injury in the playoffs as we're less than 17 games left in the nba regular season and we'll talk about the playoff structure that's going to have seven through ten shoot it out for two spots in the NBA playoffs. Spencer the Wiz and myself will get into that. We have some NFL news as we have the draft coming up here in the next three weeks. And then one of the greats will be calling it a career uh, due to injury, it looks like. And we'll talk about Julian Edelman and his career with the Patriots, a championship player, an overachiever. Uh, And in my opinion, a potential Hall of Famer. So we'll talk about that. The Masters over the weekend, WrestleMania over the weekend, some Major League Baseball action uh, as we're ramping up on second and third week in MLB. But Spence, we'll start it right off in the NBA. And before we talk about, of course, the Jamal Murray injury for the Nuggets, there's quite a few games, uh, a handful of Tuesday night games, I should say. Not, Not quite a few, a handful of Tuesday night games on the NBA slate. Won a final from earlier as the Minnesota Timberwolves had to postpone or they postponed their game yesterday due uh, to the uh, the shooting in the Minnesota area. They played today. The Brooklyn Nets destroyed the Timberwolves 127-97. Kevin Durant had 31 points for the Nets uh, earlier today, and the Nets get their thir- 37th win of the regular season. NBA TNT doubleheader had the Clippers in Indianapolis to take on the Pacers. The Clippers were without – Kawhi Leonard, Paul George makes his return to Indiana, and he has a great night as he has 36.7 rebounds, eight assists. As the Clippers get the win, 126-115 over the Pacers. The Clippers move to 38 and 18 on the season. The Hawks get a road victory, 108-103. Clint Capella had 21 rebounds, Spence, 19 points as the Hawks get the win, and now they're five games quietly spends five games over 500. The Hawks on the season. Lakers go four and three in a road trip, or, or four and five. Either way, something like that, they they showed pretty well. Still without Anthony Davis, without LeBron James. Lakers, in comeback fashion, get the win over the Hornets tonight, 101-93. Dennis Schroeder had 19 points in the win. Kyle Kuzma had 20-plus points for the Lakers. Lakers 34-21 on the season, expecting Anthony Davis and LeBron back in the next few weeks. They'll be ramped up, ready to go come playoff time. Andre Drummond trying to get comfortable in a Lakers uniform. He's going to be a very nice presence for that team in the middle. He only had four points tonight, but he had 12 rebounds. He played 24 minutes for the Lakers, and he's going to continue to get acclimated in that Lakers lineup, and the Lakers are going to be ready to go come playoff time. So it's going to be a great uh, playoff series for one through eight, and then you'll see seven through ten as well trying to fight for those last two spots. The Jazz, they get the win tonight. They get their 41th win on the season. 41st win on the season, 106-96 over the Thunder. The Thunder, they lose the game, but they cover the big 16-point spread. Two games still in progress. One in the second part of the TNT doubleheader. Uh, The Trailblazers, they go scoreless here in the last couple minutes, it looked like, as the Celtics take the lead at the end of three. Celtics in Portland, Celtics leading 92-87. And then six minutes left in the fourth quarter of the Suns. They're pulling away from the Heat, 95-78. And that'll be good for Spencer, the Wiz's ticket do we got any highlights for tonight's NBA action as uh some pretty nice wins for some teams trying to secure those spots as we're talking about kind of the playoff structure coming down the home stretch of the NBA season
1: yeah absolutely so we'll start with the Lakers who are trying to you know stay out of that little play in tournament which they would not prefer And I think every team uh, trying to make a playoff spot would also prefer uh, because otherwise it's probably not going to happen but Kyle Kuzma stepping up big time uh, got a very good, valuable contract. Some people say he got overpaid, but he's actually getting paid less than Markel Fultz, who is out for the season with uh, that torn ACL. But besides that, I think Kyle Luz was just a better player. Uh, had a nice game today. When I say
2: dragging it, not really running freely, but he seems to be playing through it. Well, here he is! doesn't look too bad on that did it Coos hurts the triple and then he comes down and gets a return pass from KCP and flushes goes right over the top of the defenders and throws it down that's really nice looking play. Spence, yeah. is, is
0: Kyle Kuzma an underappreciated player in the NBA? Because I think this guy is super talented, and I, I think he could be the number three on any team in the NBA, in a solid three. I know he's hasn't been as consistent at times, but, man, every time I see him, he's filling up the bucket, and, and he can play. He can play on both ends of the floor.
1: He can play. Uh, he's, in a bit of, he's just in a really weird spot. He was kind of that player that got left behind from that original group, that hyped group. He wasn't drafted very high either, so his expectations were. He always kind of expect or exceeded them in the beginning, and as time went on, you know, people kind of expected more from him. And I think now this is probably the best time he's had in his career. Period. I mean, he won a championship, but he enjoys being the leader of this team, and you can tell. And as soon as LeBron James and Anthony Davis comes back, he'll probably go right back to the bench uh, to fill that role. He's being patient. Uh, you got to appreciate out of a young guy, he's stuck with the team. He clearly enjoys the culture, and maybe one day he'll get his chance. I, it's just hard to place him somewhere because he's never had to be the guy, even when, you know, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball were there. He was always fourth or second fiddle, and you can say Josh Hart to a certain extent. His career is fascinating. Um other action in the NBA tonight. Uh, I actually kind of forgot this, but Blake Griffin obviously played with DeAndre Jordan. Now they're playing again on the same team. Be curious to see if they play off the bench a lot of minutes together. You would think that would make the most sense. And, you know, some of that uh, kind of synergy is still there. To reach 10 points this afternoon. Griffin down the floor, beautifully thrown to his former and now current teammate. <laughs> The Timberwolves are so garbage. They actually have uh, D'Angelo Russell back, but uh, clearly not making that big of a difference. I don't think they were ever going to win. Uh, you know, I don't think the Timberwolves are ever going to beat the Brooklyn Nets, but it just doesn't seem to be getting improving. But we'll see. I mean, I think this is probably like the seventh game that D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns have actually played together in the same game. We'll see if they can uh, end up doing something at the end of the season with uh, newly first overall pick acquired. Um Anthony Edwards excuse me uh we'll go on to the Clippers
0: yeah go ahead what are you saying Spence, quite a few DNPs for DeAndre Jordan in a Nets uniform here in the last few weeks uh what's going on here you finally get a little action today but De- DeAndre Jordan getting some DNPs the Nets looking to go small ball I mean is this going to change come playoff time this guy's healthy. been a healthy scratch
1: yeah, uh, he's just old. He can't play that many minutes. And I think you'll see it very similar to the way Javel McGee was treated last year, where he played significant minutes in the first round and then none in the second round and played again in the finals. So it kind of will be completely matchup dependent. He clearly isn't terrible, but he, he can't play more than 15 minutes a game typically. Otherwise, he'll probably get injured. And that's kind of how they played him from now on. It's so funny every time you hear people talk about the Brooklyn Nets, his name is always mentioned. But People don't really realize he isn't getting that many minutes for the team, and, that's, you know, it's for a reason. Uh, I'll quickly show uh, the Utah Jazz highlight. Nothing, nothing too interesting between the Thunder and Utah Jazz, but a nice pass from Conley.
3: Conley right into Gobert. Gobert does a nice job sealing and then releasing and getting the dunk. Could have been an and one, actually.
1: <laughs> so there we go. Rudy Gobert. Lou
0: Dort, 42 points for the Thunder tonight.
1: Yeah, one of their great young spots. Uh, I was actually going to put one of his shots in there. I didn't realize he had that many points. I'm actually a fan of the guy because he won me my ticket earlier. And like I think last month he had a game winner. Uh, I don't remember who they were playing, but uh, I'm a, he's kind of my number one uh, sleeper pick a lot of the times. But it's, it's him and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and all their 28 picks. After that, you know, there's not much to talk about for OKC Thunder. One more highlight for tonight, the Hawks. We all know how good they are offensively, but they've just come together on defense, and they're a completely different team now, making it all work. And this is a play that's just a great example of everybody is locked in, and they want to win. With a nice setup.
0: Well, Capella again gets oh, another Goodwin double. Oh, Goodwin
3: read the pass perfectly. Intercepts, leaves it for Herter. Corner for Bogey, three ball on the way, nothing but net. Beautiful steal by Goodwin, started the play, and watch how it finishes.
1: Kevin Spen- Herder, in particular, yeah, Spence, I think. I, is just-
0: I, I was really hoping you could pull this crazy highlight from this game. At the end of the first half, a full court oh, yeah. pass with 0. 0.6 seconds left that Herter caught in stride and pretty much in the air, laid it in with 0. 0.6 seconds. It was incredible. But continue your thought on Kevin Herter.
1: Yeah, he's just – when I when I did my draft analysis on him, I compared him to Clay Thompson. Never thought he was going to be as good as Clay Thompson, but he's the same archetype. Good defensively, a great three point shooter. But then you see there. I mean, uh, the passing ability is coming too. He he's just one of their steals that they've gotten, and I'm a big fan of just so many things that they have going on. And they can play this well defensively. There's no reason why they can't be a real threat in the East because I think a lot of the Brooklyn Nets guys are on one year deals. They're also you know, crazy cases like most of them and anything could blow up at any time. Uh, The Hawks are one of my favorite picks because I think they're like the third youngest team in the league.
0: Spence, from what you told me, looks like you may cash another ticket. Three minutes left in the fourth. The Suns up 101-83. Talk about your your little run here, Spence.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, if the Suns do cover the three-point spread tonight, I have won three of my last four tickets. I thought about posting them on Twitter. I don't know if anyone's really interested in my picks or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I just get it. It's very hard to judge the beginning of the season and right after the all-star break. But when I'm in the chunk of it, when you're in like the day-to-day kind of grind, I pay attention to basketball every day. It's my favorite sport. And I get the, you check the injury reports, you kind of understand streaks. There's so much that goes into basketball, but once you engulf yourself in it, you listen to a lot of radio about it. You watch a lot of highlights, you kind of get a deep understanding of these teams and Sometimes I lose tickets, but you have to be willing to accept it. The way I bet the NBA is I assume everything will go exactly how I think it is. I don't expect, I don't say, oh, maybe they'll have this crazy upset tonight. Absolutely not. I do not stick with that. I bet as if every game in my mind, I'll play it out. That's how it's going to go. And that's how I win most of my tickets.
0: Well, Spence, let's briefly go over tomorrow's card since we're talking about betting. Some of the lines aren't up, but I'd like to go over some of the matchups with you and and just a brief thought if you have one. Another early matchup, one thirty Pacific tip-off in Minnesota. The Milwaukee Bucks travel to Minnesota to take on the T-Wolves. Not sure if Giannis will play, but Bucks-Timberwolves expect this to be a big spread regardless of Giannis's availability.
1: Yeah, I'll take anything uh, under 12. If it's, if it's over 12, I'm staying away. I'm not afraid of 10 to 12 point spreads. I think I mentioned this really early on in the season, but home or I think it's either home or away favorites. Uh, who are favored by more than 10 are covering at a historic rate. And that's been true throughout the entire season. We're seeing blowouts constantly. And I wasn't I wasn't bevy on it in, you know, in the beginning of the season, but now it's just it's easy picking so many, much of the time. That what that's what creates these crazy lines, like for the Utah Jazz and Thunder game. And that's when you can take that. It. If it's above 15, I almost always cover two. So it's that sweet spot, that 10 to 12, or I should say like nine to eleven is where I kind of like to go for it.
0: Spence, 4 p.m. Pacific tip in Charlotte. The Cavs travel to Charlotte to take on the Hornets. The Hornets will be on a back-to-back. That being said, I expect it to be a short home line. The number's not posted, but I, I would guess Hornets minus three here.
1: Yeah, I uh, I stay away from dumpster fire games, and this definitely qualifies as that for me. A fully yeah. healthy Hornets team, of course, but there are some games I just look at and you're like, I'm not interested because I have no idea. When two bad teams play each other, it's almost impossible to predict.
0: Spent the Nets on a back-to-back, so we don't know what Kevin Durant's availability be. James Harden's been sitting out, so if that's the case, look for the, the Sixers to be a small favorite here at home. Nets travel to Philly to take on the Sixers. 4, 4 p.m. ESPN game.
1: Yeah, these are the kinds of games that you want to follow Adrian Wojnarowski on Twitter and uh, get alerts for him or any other injury-updated one either because uh, a lot of the times my philosophy is uh, – there's one easy game that just sticks out to me. Like today, the Atlanta Hawks game stuck out to me, and I thought the line was too short because Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet weren't playing. So to me, I'm like, all right. And now it comes down to the second game. And a lot of the times where those come in is this person is not playing. William Hill does not update their app very fast, and they don't take games down either as soon as injuries are reported. Maybe it takes them some time at, like after people start betting the other way. But if you can get in on that early line, so like if you... For example, for the Brooklyn game tomorrow, if you hear Kevin Durant's out and only Kyrie's playing, I mean, you're probably getting a short line. That's probably going to be an easy win for you. That's my philosophy.
0: Yeah, I would expect this line to probably be four and a half, five, sixers. We'll see what what happens when it's posted. Raptors on a back-to-back, they lose to the Hawks, as you mentioned tonight, Spence. Tomorrow, they're at home in Tampa as they're playing their home games in Tampa. Florida this year, Spurs come to town to take on the Raptors. Uh, This, to me, looks like a dumpster fire game, Spence. Your thoughts?
1: I'm thinking about putting a little money on San Antonio. It all depends on the line. I won't take anything higher than three. I thought I I think I may take that three-point line. Spurs are pl- had a really bad stretch there, so I stayed away for quite some time. Had a nice win against the Mavericks. And, you know, they're going to play well under Popovich, just kind of period. Kyle Lowry's out. Fred Van Fleet looks like he's still going to be out. If that holds true, I'll be curious. I'm going to look into this game. It might be
0: on my ticket. Spence Kawhi probably will play. Well, he may not play. He, 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 this, is, this. He didn't sit out tonight. I think he's got a lingering injury. The Clippers travel to Detroit on a back-to-back to take on the Pistons. This number I expect to be right around ten or less. I think they'll give the Pistons some credit, so they're going to be asking you to take the Clippers. Will the Will the Pistons stay close in this one?
1: Yeah, I'm staying. If they have a fully healthy Clippers team, I'll take it. But if not, a lot of the times the Pistons are just ticket killers. So probably yeah, not one are. to bet for me.
0: The Magic travel to Chicago to take on the Bulls. This line is posted. Chicago, nine-and-a-half point favorite. They started to play well uh, with some of their guys, and this is uh, Vujicic against his old team, Wendell Carter against his old team.
1: I guess, yeah, and uh, Orlando's one of the worst shooting teams in the league, but have the Bulls really beaten anybody by more than 10 points in recent memory? After the Vucevic trade, they go on a four-game losing streak, then a three-game winning streak, uh, and then they just lost to the Memphis Grizzlies, and I think they lost another game recently, too. I don't know why this line is so large. I am going to i don't know if I'm putting money on Orlando, but I'd be interested in it at least, maybe on a separate ticket.
0: Spence Knicks at Pelicans. Pelicans' uh, line posted at three.
1: Yeah, that is a that is a close game. Those are kind of those in the margins. I, I'm actually thinking Pelicans here, uh, but I shouldn't be because the Knicks are a very disciplined team. They play great defense. You know what? You probably have a strong opinion on this one. I don't. This is something that I, I'm, I'm going to be watching because I think this is a good matchup, but I don't want my money on it too. It's going to make me too nervous.
0: Well, Spence, my opinion would be watch the end game because the Knicks are a really good comeback team. They have come back from big deficits – most of the season. I think if the Pelicans get out to a fast start, you can get some real value on the Knicks in game. So that's that would be my suggestion on this matchup.
1: Great. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think a lot of people love in play. I actually never play in play. And I'll also tell you another secret about my betting, I never bet over unders. I think they are impossible to predict. I've in the beginning of the season, I do all this research. Oh, they're scoring a lot recently. This is a bad defensive team and it just blows me out every time. I hate over
0: unders. A few more matchups will fly by these real quick. Pacers at Rockets, Indiana on a back-to-back. They're a road five-and-a-half point favorite. Uh, Spence, the Warriors travel to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City on a back-to-back. The Warriors had a nice win as Curry went for 53 last night. Uh, Warriors looking to try to position themselves in one of these playoff games, playoff-seeded games. Spence, this one you'll like. ESPN, Mavericks, Grizzlies. This should be a good matchup, 6.30 p.m. Pacific tip. Looks like Dallas is a -a one-and-a-half point road favorite against uh, Memphis.
1: I hate betting Memphis, but if I was, if I was trying to be objective about this, I think Dallas is going to blow out Memphis by like ten points. So this seems like an easy line. I don't know why it's so close.
0: We'll get into this one. The Heat will be on a back to back. They'll travel to Denver. Denver now without Jamal Murray, they're going to be a four point favorite at home against Miami Heat.
1: Strange. Uh, I'm taking Miami. I think that I think that's going to be one of the games on my ticket. Uh, they're going to have to. It's going to take a few games for them to figure out how to get. Uh, pass losing their second leading score which we're going to talk about in just a second but Miami for sure for me
0: and then it'll finish off in Sacramento the Wizards will be taking on the Kings uh Spence the other night I think it was three nights ago the Wizards had an incredible win against the Warriors they were down three uh the Warriors had the game in hand with under 15 seconds left the Wizards got another possession Bradley Beal from the corner shot a three got fouled, hit the three, and nailed the free throw to win by one against the Warriors. It was nuts.
1: Yeah, uh, I actually really enjoy betting the Wizards. They're great in spots, and they've been having a much better second half of the season. They're a team to watch on a nightly basis if you get favorable lines.
0: Yeah, the Celtics trying to pull away here is uh, the last game going here on the Tuesday night schedule. They're leading the Blazers 104-99 with about five and a half left. The Blazers are the highest scoring first quarter team in the league. They haven't done much after that. They scored 38 tonight in the first, Spence. Then they scored 22. I'm sorry, they scored 22 in the second, 27 in the third, and they've only got 12 through half the quarter here. Uh, they're going to need a big push at the end, and they're going to need a push for this game to go over well, to go over as well. Uh, Spence, let's talk about the news though in Denver. Jamal Murray torn ACL, out for the year. Huge blow for this Nuggets basketball team, huge blow for the NBA as Jamal Murray has been great in the playoffs the past few years, having duels with Donovan Mitchell and just being an absolute star come playoff time. We won't see him this time in the playoffs. Who's going to fill that role for the Nuggets as their point guard, scorer, distributor. Uh, It's just heartbreaking news. We know probably the best player on that team is Nikola Jokic. They've made a nice trade for Aaron Gordon. Michael Porter Jr. Has established himself in the starting lineup of it lineup as an offensive threat. What does this do to the Nuggets? I heard in some places the Nuggets championship odds in Vegas went from somewhere between 75 and 100 to 1. That's huge.
1: Yeah I mean first of all I just want to say how sad it is and I'll even go back to like my days when Memphis was like going to the conference finals when I loved them so much and I wanted them to do everything to get there. But I never, ever wanted them to get there because of an injury. It's just one of the most – it's one of the worst feelings in the world because no one wants an asterisk next to win. And besides that, he's a young kid, and to see him go out – and plus, probably, I mean, he's probably going to miss half of the season next year. We have to think ahead, not just in this year's playoffs. And he was having a career year, shooting 40% from the three-point line. It's nothing good about it, and you just hope that he can come back healthy – I mean, this just completely messes up their timeline. They make a big trade to get uh, Aaron Gordon at the trade deadline. They get rid of their first-round pick, R.J. Hampton. And it's just – I mean, Aaron Gordon is definitely not enough to take them. And you got the Clippers and the Lakers and the Suns and the Jazz. They're not going to get past him without Jamal Murray. That's the reality of the situation. So my uh, Clippers ticket to make it to the finals is – looking better now i guess that's kind of one of the only bright spots here for that but again you hate to see these kinds of things and you there's nothing you can do about it it's just one of the worst injuries in sports
0: spence who's going to be able to fill this role for for denver Who who's going to be potential options to go to
1: Nobody. (laughs) If you want my real honest answer, it could have been Gary Harris, who two years ago was almost averaging 20 points per game, but also got sent in that Aaron Gordon trade. And I still think it was objectively the right choice. You can't predict a, um, you know, a torn ACL. It's, they just don't have the guard rotation that they need. They're very much role players. It's not it's not like if Mike Conley went down and Jordan Clarkson was you know, supposed to go up into the starting lineup. They don't have a guy like that, period. So it's going to be really, really rough for them. They're going to have to depend a lot more on everyone else to kind of use the scoring production. Talking about specifically the point guard position, it's a disaster.
0: That's Spencer the Wiz. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. And you can catch the rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 Pacific time. If you miss any of the show live, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. Search Brad the Believer, like, subscribe, all that good stuff on there. And um, as well, if you miss any of the show, check out the audio podcast version of the show at any of the podcasting platforms. Landry Football Conference call on the rest stop will be underneath there. Spence, let's keep it in the NBA. Uh, Mark Cuban came out and said today uh, he's got some issues with the expanded playoff. He voted for it. Now he's saying it's an enormous mistake. What's Cuban talking about here, Spence? I mean, this is what every NBA or basketball fan wants to see. They want to see competitive basketball till the end, and then you have an opportunity uh, for four teams to really uh, play their asses off for two playoff spots. I mean, I think it's a great thing.
1: Yeah, it's only an enormous mistake because the Dallas Mavericks are the seventh seed in the West. That's why it's an enormous mistake. I'm going to pull up a quote now because you kind of alluded to it. This is what Mark Cuban had to say about it. The worst part of this approach is that it doubles the stress of a, of the compressed schedule rather than playing for a playoff spot and being able to rest players. As the standings become clearer, teams have to approach every game as a playoff game to either get into or stay in the top six since the consequences are enormous. So players are playing more games and more minutes in fewer days. That sounds great. I think that's what we've all wanted. There's so many old heads, you know, like old classic NBA guys who hate resting period. I don't, I don't really care about it that much, but obviously the way they, you know, portray it, we all want that. No one wants to see like the last two weeks of basketball as a dumpster fire. Also, it goes, this tournament goes so deep. I guess I can pull up the standings now and kind of just explain how the end of this works and uh, that way you guys have a better understanding, you know, like what is going to be coming here. It's kind of this, I think it's the same as last year. I'm not sure, but in any case, okay. So if the playoffs were to start today, everyone's famous quote, right? Uh, No one really likes that, but. Here we go. So Dallas and Memphis will be playing a playoff game if the playoff started. And the winner of those two is the seventh seed. So the first playoff game is to determine who the seventh seed will be. Let's assume the Dallas Mavericks win that game, which they most likely would. That means there's eight, nine and ten left. So the way the eighth seed is determined, nine and ten will also play a one game playoff game. Uh, just like Memphis and Dallas did. And the winner of that game will have a chance to be the eighth seed now, and the loser of that one-game series will be out of the playoffs. So let's say in this case the Golden State Warriors win. So now that leaves the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. They play – it's not a best-of-three, but they do play a three-game series theoretically. All Memphis has to do is win one game. And in order for Golden State to take – that's how the playoff seeds works. And – the reason I like this so much is not because nine and 10 don't have a reason to give up. It's because 11 and 12 technically don't have a reason either. So less teams are taking at the end of the season. The Pelicans are only one game out of the 10 seed. So they're only a game out of the play in game. And right now they're only two games out of the A seed. So everyone's going to be trying as hard as they possibly can to get in there. And the Sacramento Kings, you know, are floating around their four games back. They're terrible. Uh, but you know, again, The less teams that are given up at the end of the season, the better. And that's why I'm totally in favor of this uh, little playoff
0: thing we have going on here. I completely agree. I think it makes it more competitive from top to bottom all the way to the end. And look, we've seen some crazy entries this year, Spence. We just talked about one with Jamal Murray. If a team like the Pelicans or somebody gets hot, they're late like the Phoenix Suns did last year. And they go against a team that's all of a sudden lost one or two key players. This is the NBA, and we can see anything. We j- I know it's college basketball. We saw UCLA go from the playing game to the Final Four, and uh, we're a buzzer beater from half court away from being in the championship game. So, um, look, I-, I think this is great. Uh, the sports needs to chime in and said uh, he made a mistake by voting for it in the first place. That's fine. As basketball, that's fine, Cuban. But, look, the bottom line is the fans think it's more entertaining. If you don't think it's more entertaining, I don't know – what kind of freaking fan you are. I mean, this is great to have competitive basketball till the end. And then the teams that don't want to be in clearly are tanking. You see that happening with teams like the Rockets, like the Thunder, even though the Thunder were pretty competitive tonight. So a team like the golden state warriors with Steph Curry, who went for 53 last night, if they can get a little bit healthy, even though James Wiseman, Wiseman has a meniscus injury, he'll probably miss some time, but Steph will will win you by himself one or two games. Uh, it's going to be tough without Clay Thompson for them to win any series, but it'll be fun to watch. I certainly will be tuning in to watch Steph Curry cook it up come playoff time, Spence.
1: Yeah, and if you could tell me that there's a way for Steph Curry to be playing in the playoffs technically, I'm going to say yes because I like to see him play basketball, and that would have never been possible before this season. I think that's the hook, line, and sinker. And now if I go down quickly to the Eastern Conference to see who would be playing there, yeah. the Chicago Bulls are in the 10th seed right now. The Raptors are one game behind. And hard to believe the Washington Wizards are only two games behind the 10th seed. If I can see Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook playing the playoffs, I'm going to want to see that happen. And it just makes it more exciting because, first of all, the 7th and 8th seed almost never make it far into the playoffs. So if you can get us interested and you can get a little momentum for those lower seeds, I think it helps vie for maybe a bigger upset if those teams are fresh and excited going into it rather than just barely sneaking into the playoffs and getting swept in the first round.
0: I would love to see the Wizards playing for a playoff spot. I think they're fun to watch. I think they've got potential. They started off the season dreadfully and they started playing well a little bit after that. They certainly have cashed some money line dog tickets. They beat the Jazz here in the last few weeks. Uh, they can beat anybody on any given night. If Russell Westbrook can distribute the ball and limit his three-point shooting, uh, they can score it well. They just got to play a little defense and contest some outside shots. Brad Beal, we know what he's capable of doing. Uh, so I think it'll be fun to watch. I think it's I, – I love the idea. I don't know why Cuban's all up in arms. It's probably because his team is teetering around, <laughs> teetering around that seventh seed, and they're going to have to be playing with an opportunity to probably get knocked out of the playoffs. Uh, you wouldn't like to see that. We'd like to see Luca back in the playoffs with a healthy Christoph Porzingis and see what damage. Dallas could do is they really played well against the Clippers last year before the Clippers beat them and moved on to lose to the Denver Nuggets. So this is going to be entertaining. It's going to, like you said, Spence, it's going to make games fun to watch all the way down to the end. And we're only about 14, 15 games left in the regular season. So Spence, let's kick it over to the NFL And, of course, we have the draft coming up in less than a month. The rumors are are, are going rampant. It's one minute. It's definitely Mac Jones at three. I've told you the whole time it's not. Now everybody else is jumping on the not bandwagon. So I don't know. All I'm saying is I haven't uh, wavered in my philosophy that the 49ers are not going to take Mac Jones at number three. I will stand by that until they actually do or do not take him. I think it would be a terrible decision, completely mismanaged uh, by two very smart football guys. And I can't see that possibly happening to a guy. And Mac Jones, who is a solid player, a national champion, but nobody, and I mean nobody, talked about Mac Jones going in the top 10 all the way from the beginning of the season up until about three weeks ago. So why all of a sudden would you trade three first-round picks to move up and take this guy number three? It makes absolutely zero sense. What has happened, Spence, in the last six months that drastically would change your mind from what you already knew, a guy throwing to a Heisman, uh, winning wide receiver in a championship program in Alabama. He does not do anything overwhelmingly better than the people you already have in that quarterback room.
1: I've done my scouting analysis on him and it's a great pocket passer, but there's a few issues that he runs into and they're really bad. So his he always kind of got stuck on his first option we all know he's accurate passer. I mean, he understood the playbook for Alabama very well, too. He, he threw 77%. But when things didn't go right for him when in his mind because he thought everything was going to go right, that's kind of the way that he played football, he had some horrible, horrible throws. He kind of throws his mechanics out the window. Uh, he also is not, not very mobile. I think you and I both know that. He's a little more athletic, I think, than people give him credit for. But I agree. He's not gonna, He's not going to get you yards on his feet like you want him to, or at least a prototypical running back would. Uh, and outside of that, he just kind of misses the, the dink and dunk, which is so important in the NFL. Everybody is so enamored with the 50-yard pass that Patrick Mahomes can do, but nobody wants to care about the Alex Smiths and stuff like that. And I think that's just – Patrick Mahomes may have affected quarterbacks for years and years to come now. We're seeing less and less of those kind of uh, QBs who are looking to kind of just move the ball. Zach Wilson, too, I think – Also has a huge problem where he always just wants it to be 40 yards down the field. Uh Mac Jones is not the third overall pick in this draft. Uh, if they do, I mean they've ruined themselves. He's not even worth one first round pick to trade up, let alone three. Maybe one, I guess if you could argue that, because he is so smart. He is such a film junkie and dedicated to the game, but he doesn't have the actual skill set yet to be a high top 10 quarterback in the NFL. There's no way.
0: Spence. We, we saw one of the football team dynasties kind of subside last year. One of the people that led that dynasty, Tom Brady, continued his greatness winning a Super Bowl in his first season with Tampa Bay. But a guy synonymous with the Patriots, with Tom Brady, a uh, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, Julian Edelman, uh, seems to not have been recovering well from a knee injury. And it looked like he's going to call it a career in the NFL. And, and Spence, I want to get to a clip here. Uh, of julian edelman talking about it may be time to hang it up
1: oh okay hold on okay well i think we got is- it here okay
3: i'll be making my official announcement of my retirement from football it was a hard decision but the right decision for me and my family and i'm honored and so proud to be retiring a Patriot. There are a million people I have to thank. Mr. Kraft, the Kraft family, learned so much from you guys on and off the field. Coach Belichick, giving me an opportunity. I always love you for that. My teammates have gone to war. We've lost some, we've won some. You guys will always be my brothers. To all my coaches that I played under, I appreciate all your insight, all your hard work, all your knowledge. To the entire Patriots organization, from the meal ladies, to the people that clean up after us, to the people in the hallways, the training staff, the strength staff. We share so many awesome memories that I'll never forget. And, of course, my family. You guys have always had my back. It's been the best 12 years of my life. It's hell of a run. And I can't forget you, Patriot Nation. You guys have welcomed me and my family to a region we do not know, we didn't know. But now, I'm one of you. I'm gonna leave you guys with two words. Foxborough forever.
0: Spencer the Wiz, Julian Edelman, 12-year career in the NFL. Uh, Looks like he's going to call it a day. Um, Before we get to one of his former teammates, um, look, a lot of people debating whether Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer. Look, for me, you win three titles, a Super Bowl MVP, you lead. Uh, I believe he he leads the Patriots. He may lead the entire league in playoff uh, receiving yards. I mean we'd have to double check that but I know he's very high up there in playoff statistics. Regular season statistics don't jump out to you but they're very comparable to Hall of Famer Lynn Swan. Uh, this guy's body of work Spence in the playoffs does it for me. I- I'm sorry, I don't know how you argue that. The guy's been a playoff monster. He's been de- he's been instrumental in-, in the Patriots Super Bowl victories when he's a part of that team. Uh, and he's been clutch. He's been absolutely clutch in the playoffs. The guy is worthy of a Hall of Fame career. Is it first ballot? I I, I doubt that. But uh, twelve year career in the NFL, three Super Bowl titles, Super Bowl MVP, and, and just monstrous playoff statistics. Spence, why are people fighting so hard to tell me this guy's not a Hall of Famer?
1: Uh, well, he's going to have an uphill battle, and I'll tell you why. There's three players in my mind that he's the most comparable to in terms of just stats that jump off the page from a statistical standpoint. Lenny Moore. Uh, Dante Lavelli and Kellen Winslow. They all have right around that 6,000 yard uh, kind of regular season stats. And they're all in the hall of fame, all three of those guys. There's only one issue here. Well, Lenny Moore was drafted in 1960 uh, or yeah, 1960 Dante Lavelli was drafted in 1947 and Kellen Winslow uh, was drafted in 1979. So the most recent player that you can say played in the 80s who had a similar statistical career and also made the Hall of Fame. We're talking like 30 years, I guess, maybe or I guess 40 years since a player of his caliber has made the uh, the Hall of Fame. Now he does have the playoffs, but it's tough. I mean, people haven't done it in a very long time with careers similar to his. That's kind of where I'll put it there.
0: Uh, Spence, have you looked at the Lynn Swan stats? This guy also a multiple playoff uh, success Super Bowl champion. Um, I mean very very comparable stats here with with Edelman and, and Lynn Swan as well. I mean,
1: he's only had two one thousand yard receiving seasons. That's really tough to convince somebody in the modern age that that's a Hall of Fame career. That's how I see it.
0: All right, Spence, here you go. Most playoff receptions of all time. Number one, Jerry Rice, 151. Number two, Julian Edelman, 118. Most playoff receiving yards of all time. Jerry Rice, number one, 2,245. Number two, Julian Edelman, 1,442. Uh, right next to the greatest receiver in history. Yeah, uh, he'll
1: he'll be argued into it. He's not a 1st bout Hall of Famer, obviously. I mean, he can't stack up against the all-time greats, but – He'll kinda have his last chance. I think what do you get? Three chances? Is is that what it is to get voted in? Uh, and then after that you don't more, have a chance I, anymore?
0: No, that's not true. I I don't I, think didn't know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that there's a cap of three. I I think after like, you know, ten years or something, you go into a different list. Uh besides, you know, on the actual ballot. But I don't I definitely don't think it's three.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, So, I, I but I think there is a cap for it. I think eventually that you don't make it if you don't get voted in at some point after being on the list so many times.
0: Well, it's going to be an interesting conversation, um, and, and let's check out the – I got the regular season stats here. Lynn Swan, uh, 336 receptions, 5,462 yards, 51 touchdowns in the regular season. Julian Edelman, 620 receptions, 6,822 yards, and 36 touchdowns.
1: When so? When did he play? What year was he drafted? Uh,
0: Red Swan was somewhere in the 70s, Super Bowl so that, champion of the Steelers.
1: That's what I'm saying. I mean, those kinds of stats were really big deals back in the day, those 6,000-yard careers. But guys are having regular 1,000-yard careers. So you're basically saying that, again, I understand the playoff implications, and I can't argue that nobody can. I'm talking about he's not a Hall of Famer according to his regular season stats, period. I mean, they're not good enough to make the Hall of Fame.
0: Right. I agree with that in the regular season, but that's clearly not where the argument lies. The the argument lies this guy's number two in two huge categories in receiving and playoff history. He's a Super Bowl MVP and a multiple time Super Bowl champion. Uh, Terrell Davis had one or two good years uh, in the regular season, but he's a Super Bowl champion. He's in the he's in the Hall of Fame. Kurt Warner, same thing. One or two good regular seasons, Hall of Famer um, on one Super Bowl victory we'll see look this is this is it's a good argument it's a good discussion for the people that think that he's got no shot i think they're ridiculous yes regular season are his stats uh, mind-blowing no they're not but the guy is a playoff legend and that's the most important thing is he's a champion and he spent his entire career with the patriots spence if we can let's get to a former teammate of julian edelman see what he has to say
1: yeah on tmz Rob, how you doing man welcome to la
2: Look, I gotta ask, Julian Edelman retiring? Can I get a... Yeah, he's a beast. He is a beast. Yeah. A lot of people caught off guard. I was I shocked, was Julian, actually. Julian's also a competitor, man. Uh, nothing but huge crowd for Julian, man. He was a great teammate. Uh, three-time Super Bowl champ, MVP of the Super Bowl. Of course. You gotta give it to Jules, man. He gave it his all. Uh, his whole career, and uh, he was a wonderful teammate. Uh, had a lot of good times with him, and uh, and fun to watch. He's gonna keep on thriving. So let me let me ask you this though. There's a, a lot of a lot of people are asking now that he's done. Is he a Hall of Famer? Jules? Yeah, he's he's a Patriot Hall of Famer for sure. A Patriot Hall of Famer. 100%. NFL Hall of down. Famer. Uh, I definitely think he has a great possibility of being a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, the, the regular season uh, also, numbers maybe fall a tad short. His postseason numbers are incredible. Right? Yeah, he's a beast. Uh, and it, I mean, the numbers just don't show everything that he brings to the table. Uh, you know, just the attitude and competitiveness that he has. So it's uh, more than just the numbers, obviously? Yeah, it's more than the numbers that, uh, that, that makes Julian out uh, of Is there any chance that he ends up in Tampa Bay with you guys next year? Sixty nine percent chance. Yeah. A sixty-nine percent chance? Where are you getting that number from? Can I ask? Uh, that's just you asked if there's a chance, I'll give you a number. Uh, <laughs> Alright, look, do you think he can see he has another year in him? Yeah. You He'll do? He'll be back. He'll be back? He'll be back. You think? Alright. Yeah. Camille, are you gonna put a ring on it? Oh, six! Oh, you've been together six been years. Wonderful. You gonna put a ring on it? I love Camille. You gonna put
0: a ring on it? Maybe one day. <laughs> all right, brother. Good luck. Thank you. How about that, Spencer? The Wiz? the Gronk going through the airport, mask on, sixty-nine percent answering all the questions. Uh, what were your thoughts on that clip there? Spen?
1: First thing I, I want to say is uh, these reporters are the scum of the earth, in my <laughs> opinion. Come on, you just get on out into LA and this guy's harassing you and walking with you to your car. He was actually very nice, like Gronk was very nice about it. If I was him, yeah. I'd slap the phone out of his hand, and be like, dude, I just got off a plane, like, don't talk to me. There's probably going to be press releases and stuff about this. Why are you, like, waiting for my plane to land? That's very strange. And he's also just a dork bag. I mean, just like, what do you think about this? What do you-? <laughs> I know it's nothing to do with the conversation, but good Lord, dude. Like, those people have no lives, like, at all. They're just clout chasers, and that's all that matters to them. It's a kind of a sad existence, in my opinion.
0: So, Spence, if you were uh, a super famous celebrity, you wouldn't uh, be too kind to the paparazzi following you off your airplane?
1: I'd be nice to them, but I'm like uh, – at least I would be like, make some sort of like availability or some sort of schedule. And if someone harasses me like that, I'll call the police. I mean, that's insane. If Could you imagine somebody trying to do that to you while you're doing day-to-day things? And I know that happens quite a bit, but these guys are football players. I mean, they're not, it's kind of weird, right? Like when you're a songwriter, you're kind of like talking about your feelings. You're putting yourself very much out there. But at the end of the day, these guys are just guys who make money playing football. They're not true celebrities let this guy live his life and have those answers questioned when it's kind of appropriate when they're at practice. I don't know. I I don't know if you feel the same way about it, but um, that guy in particular, I just felt like was such a dork.
0: Spence, before we move on from the NFL, you had uh, one more topic you wanted to get to a little bit with some NFL discussion.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not a huge discussion. It's kind of just something that I guess all Americans are talking about in general. So the NFL came out and said that, uh, you know, Personnel and staff who refuse the vaccine uh, will not be allowed to interact with players like there won't be tier one or tier two staff. I don't know what that means specifically, but obviously that means that they're not going to be talking and uh, interacting with the players. And that kind of gets into the more overall discussion of should you force somebody to get the vaccine? And is it the same thing as forcing someone to get the vaccine by restricting them so much that they can't really do their jobs? where do you land anywhere on this argument and i don't do you feel a certain way about it i guess
0: uh I, I, honestly I'm, I'm not a big fan of of forcing people and telling them what they need to do in order to do their job um since since when did we live in a country that does that uh i, I mean it just doesn't make sense to me
1: yeah it's a fat it's fascinating right because Technically, everybody should get the vaccine. It's just good for everybody. It's good for elderly people, people at risk. But on the other side of it, we've never really been forced to do anything. I mean, but there's also dangers to that because that means that we've allowed anti-vaxxers to kind of rise up. And those kids are getting abused by not having the most basic vaccines put in their body like chickenpox. So do you, I I guess it kind of comes down, it's so weird how politicized this thing has become, Uh, like it's people are saying like, what are you putting in your body? Basically just saying that, you know, F the world scientists. The way I look at it is this though, if you want to get down to the most basic root of the vaccine, A, the vaccine works and everybody becomes immune or B, it doesn't work and it's a disaster and people die or whatever. I mean, that would cause the end of world governments. If every, like if half of the population on the planet took this vaccine and it has some sort of horrible effect, that's going to cause nuclear war and we'll all be dead anyways. So that's like my basic stance on the vaccine. I'm very much like an originist. I'm meaning like I love the Constitution of the United States. I think it's like the greatest document ever made. Uh, and, you know, basically that says that you can't force somebody to do something. I just think whether you're not you like what side of this you you like stand on we are going to be forced to get the vaccine one way or another, either to travel through planes to, I don't know. I doubt it will get to the level of working, but I think corporations will eventually like not hire new staff unless they are vaccinated, like that kind of thing. It's kind of scary because like, Oh, what can happen in the future, but come on. I mean, you have to kind of cross that bridge when you get there. You can't just start having panicking people and saying like the next thing, you know, like you'll have no rights at all. I think that's too much of a far leap. But clearly, I mean, we're getting closer and closer to those steps where corporations and your jobs, the way you make money, are going to say you have to get the vaccine.
0: You are right about that, Spence. And I'm not anti-vax, Spence. I just don't like that we we. it's too soon to have enough information about the long term right now. Now, you've told me you've gotten your vaccination already and you haven't had any effects, which is great. Uh, I've listened to some stuff on, on uh, the radio from firsthand experience from – Doctors where there's been questions about the delivery of the vaccine. If they're not, if the person injecting the vaccine is not doing it correctly, uh, if, if they do it wrong, it can lead uh, to some of that pain in the arm or injury that there's a certain way to do it with the mm-hmm. muscle. Um, so uh, that that information doesn't necessarily worry me i would just hope that i have somebody or ask the questions necessary to make sure that the person delivering my vaccine knew what they were doing i just wish we knew more information about uh cuz i i heard, you're the second person today Spence i heard about some of this blood clotting issue with the vaccines i mean what is this about i mean i need i need i would like more information it's not something that should be dismissed
1: uh yeah for sure i think it's, it's weird to blindly accept something. Uh, it's actually, I think, only for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is the one that I got. But it appears to only be for women from a certain age, like 21 to something, like 30-something. So I'm not a woman, obviously. But, you know, you got to just try to pay attention to the signs. And I guess the scariest part about it, just in general, is the way that pharmaceutical companies are ran. They make a drug, and it doesn't have to be the vaccine, just any drug. And they make, what, $5 billion off of it. And because it's rushed or production, and just because of medicine in general, you're never going to have a perfect medication, there's going to be a lawsuit. I'm sure there'll be a lawsuit over the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. But The thing is, when you make $5 billion and your lawsuit settles for 1000000000 billion, let's say, let's even make it to the extreme, they have to give up a $1 billion. Well, they've just net profited $4 billion or such. Let's Or the cost of the vaccine, let's say, is even more than that. Even if they profit $2 billion, everything else, I mean, falls by the wayside. That's such a big profit margin line. And I think that's the main issue with pharmaceutical companies, not necessarily every case by case, but those small cases that they either cover up or they don't care about or they don't do enough due diligence on.
0: Spence, we're going to wrap up the show with a little uh, take on the Masters weekend. But before we do that, Spence, before we do that, I've got to tell you a quick story here. So, uh, a buddy of mine who I haven't seen in twenty years, uh, his name's Julius Lee. I played football with him in high school. Um, you know, as you've you've seen, I've reconnected with some old buddies here in the last couple months. But Spence, listen to this story here. So, Julius was staying at the Circus Circus, and uh, I picked him up from the airport. And we were at the Venetian. He walked from the Venetian to Caesar's Palace, uh, Caesar's Palace to MGM. This is walking MGM back to Circus Circus. Circus Circus took a nap for an hour, got up, managed to walk to the Stratosphere, and then the Stratosphere to Dre's Nightclub. Dre's Nightclub back to Circus Circus. got to his room around 5 a.m., and was up for approximately somewhere around 23 hours. Spence, this is some insane walking by my man, Julius. Spence, you're, you're mute there.
1: Oh, geez. A rookie mistake by me. I was drinking water. Uh, but when I was in the military, I used, to, I used to actually run the strip from UNLV, and we'd run all the way down to, I think, the Newark, New York, and back, or something like that. So I've transversed the land a little bit. Uh, but if you're... I guess the hard part is if you're not a local, then you don't really understand like the whole trolley system. It's like really good. You can hit a lot of the casinos without having to walk too much. And I think as time goes on, that'll only get better. I guess if you really just want to discover every part of the land, you're probably talking about uh, like five miles probably, which is a lot, but it's not impossible. It's like a five K's worth or something somewhere
0: around that. Yeah. With all the back and forth, he quite put it in. I asked him if his shoes kind of, you know, fell off and broke down on him he said he had some fine italian leather pieces in there and they held up nice so uh i told him he was a cyborg for making that walk uh back and forth all the way around uh, with the drink in one hand of smoke in the other i mean wow he uh he was not taking uber he wasn't taking a cab he just decided to walk it so uh, it was good to see him uh so if he checks this out uh I talked about his little story about walking up and down the strip and t- to me i would have been Like what the hell's going on? 5 a.m. He he was up 5 a.m., 4 a.m. his time flying out. And then 5 a.m. Vegas time, which is 8 o'clock East time. That's that's a hell of a lot of walking. Uh, Spence, the Masters weekend. A lot of people said it wasn't so eventful. I completely disagree. Hideki Matsuyama wins first Japanese player to win a major uh, championship, or at least at the Masters. And I thought it was exciting. I don't know what people are talking about. I don't know if they turned off their television or what, but – Look, Matsuyama and Z- Xander Schauffele were uh, two in, in the final pairing. And Matsuyama, after the first hole, his lead of four went to two. After one hole, Spence, he bogeyed. Uh, another guy got within two. And it was within two or three most uh, of the back half. Now, Shaffle shot himself almost out of it on the front nine. I, at one point, he was down to four under. Made a roaring comeback. At one point, four straight birdies for Shaffle. He was with, within two strokes of Matsuyama. So, what are these people talking about? That Matsuyama had it in hand the whole way. Did he lead wide to wire, wire to wire in the final round? Yes, but he he did not have it locked up by any means. Shoffley was right there, and then on sixteen, that triple bogey, I believe that he had, or double bogey, completely took him out of it. If it weren't for that shot on sixteen, Shoffley's right there till the end. Now, uh, Will Zalatoris. First-timer, USA, uh, American at a major, finished with 9-under. It ended up being uh, one shot behind Matsuyama, who finished at 10-under. But Matsuyama bogeyed the final hole. I I don't know what people are talking about, Spence. I I watched most of this final round wire-to-wire, and I thought it was exciting. Even though Matsuyama didn't give up the lead, he by no means ran away with it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a very good Masters. And it's cool to see someone new when it always. Uh it's kind of the best part of the Masters, unless their name is Tiger Woods. And there's nothing more exciting than that. Uh, but the real interesting, or I say the most interesting storyline of the Masters for me was Shafle. And you're talking about number sixteen. The only reason he triple bogeyed it is because he was trying to go for the hole like that yeah. much. Like he was taking a massive risk. It cost him six hundred and I think twenty-five thousand dollars. So I guess I- I'm curious to get your opinion on this. If you were in his spot, and it's a, it's a long shot for you to win the Masters, but it's technically in reach, would you go for it knowing you could triple bogey the hole? Or do you play it safe and you secure as much money as possible for the mat for the majors? Because it's a huge payday.
0: Well, Spence, the way Schauffele was playing, I don't think he needed to go for broke there. He was playing great golf on the back nine. Like I said, four straight birdies, and Matsuyama was not doing anything to separate himself. So that being said, and Shoffley's been right there in the top five of some of these big tournaments. I didn't think he had to put himself at that much of a risk. I didn't realize that shot was going to be at risk of going into the water and costing him that penalty. If he could have done it over and he could have played himself conservatively on 16, he still got 17, 18 to maybe catch up two strokes. I don't think that that's out of reach. I mean, I didn't think Matsuyama did enough to separate himself. Of course, hindsight's 20-20, Spence. It's easy for me to say that now. Uh, At the time, you're you're at a limited time frame to make that decision. He made the decision. It didn't work out for him. I thought he played a great round. It just didn't work out for him. But Shoffley will be right there at the Masters in the future. He's been right there at a lot of these majors in the top 10. But Matsuyama deserves tons of credit, Spence. He did what he had to do to hang on and to, to be the first Japanese golfer ever. Uh, to win the Masters. Spence, by chance, did you did you catch the, the tweet I sent you in the direct message of the Japanese sound of Matsuyama winning the tournament? Or are we not able to pull that?
1: Uh, I could pull it. Just give me one second. I'll, I'll pull it up in just a moment. Okay, um, but, but Matsuyama... But yeah, yeah, I just want to say about him is it wasn't a perfect round, but, I mean, being the leader going into the last day of um, a tournament is... Especially the Masters, it's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world. Uh, I would not want to be because everybody's looking at you. Everyone's waiting for you to slip up, and he even did in the front nine. We were just talking about that. But to have the guts to someone who's never won the Masters to be able to do that, who's never won a, a major championship—period—it's great. I mean, it's why we love golf. It's what makes it so special uh, to me. And pulling up the clip here, and let's we'll take a look. Matsuyama Hideki.
0: マスターズをついに Ben's very emotional. Look, uh, the commentators said most of the day, this guy uh, carrying the torch for an entire nation. Uh, the country of Japan is, is very big in golf. Uh, they take it very passionately. They're trying to make their way into becoming a dominant force in the golf game. And this is enormous for the country of Japan. They are super excited to have Hideki Matsuyama carry that tor- torch and the flag bearer of the first Japanese Player ever to win the Masters and congratulations to him. And I thought it was a great tournament, a great final round. But what, what all these other jabronis are talking about, I really don't know. Uh, because Matsuyama never pulled away, he won by one stroke. Uh, two strokes is nothing. You saw that on 16 with Shaffle triple bogey it it was never completely pulled away that Matsuyama won the tournament. And even though he had the gimme. Uh, to go up one, we've seen people miss those putts, Spence, under that pressure. He could have easily missed that putt. And we're talking about a playoff between Zalatouris and Matsuyama. So forget all that nonsense, nonsense. A great final round. Of course, no Tiger Woods. Uh, but congratulations to Matsuyama and uh, carrying the torch for, for the country Japan. First ever uh, male Masters winner from Japan. So that's fantastic. Well, another one in the books, Spencer the Wiz, follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brad the Believer. We'll be back with you on Thursday, nine o'clock Pacific time. Have a great night.